Welcome to another episode of Tequila She Wrote, a podcast about cocktails and true crime. And I am Trish, your bartender for today. And I'm Sloan, your crime tender for today. Today we're going to be talking about Maddie Clifton. She is from Jackson. She's the girl that went missing from Jacksonville. Jacksonville, Florida. Yeah. This is back in like the 1990s. And let me just say, you're going to want to buckle up for this wild ride. It's a crazy one. I don't remember it off the bat, which Sloan didn't remember mine off the bat. So um, I'm excited to see if I remember it or if this is me just kind of relearning it. Right, right. So, but grab your cocktail and buckle up. Yep. another round of cocktails with your bartender today Trish and today I'm going to be doing a pink starburst drink or shot you can do it either way I have had this in many forms um one of my bartender friends down here makes it for me whenever I go out and visit him and he does it a completely different way than this but Saw this one on TikTok from one of our favorite little uh, content creators on there for drinks. She just, she's hilarious. <laughs> I don't, I, her name's blank, like, her name is blinking for me right now, but it just, she's always a hoot. Mm -hmm. She's the one that, Old like, tiger. licks her glass. Yeah. <laughs> and her reason for it is, if you lick it, then you claim it. <laughs> oh, but she's the one that somebody sent her this and then she tried it and I was like well that sounds fucking good mm -hmm. <laughs> so let's try it so for this you're gonna need mango Malibu rum which I know everybody thinks Malibu it's gonna be coconutty but it's not it, it, it tastes like mango I do not like coconut at all and this drink was phenomenal so it is mango Malibu you need grenadine, some sort of sour. We just use lime juice. And in the TikTok, she also just uses lime juice. Um, and then Sprite. So what I did was I just built it over ice because I did it as a drink. And I did an ounce of the mango Malibu. And then as far as the grenadine and the lime juice, I just kind of did it to like look like. I just kind of guesstimated, so I would guess at most a half ounce of each of those. But really, you just really need a splash of the grenadine and just a couple squirts of, like, your lime juice. And then I just topped it with Sprite. Again, I did it just kind of to look. You don't want to do too much of the Sprite or else that's all you're going to taste. But... Like I said, just built it, kind of gave it a little swirl, and then just, you can down it all in one, or you can sip on it, but like I said, it was so good. 
I think that Malibu mango really makes this drink pop. Because, oh, <laughs> it, like I said, Sloan tried and she was like, this is fucking good. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. highly recommend. Definitely try it out yourself. Let us know if maybe you have a different recipe that you think is way better than that. You can let us know either on our socials. You got Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all that. Tequila she wrote. You'll also see our recipe card in that for it. Uh, and then if you want to send us an email with like your recipes for like a pink starburst or any of the other ones that you might have, it's tequila she wrote at gmail.com. We also have our Patreon set up, up and running. It's looking great over there. You can check it out at patreon.com backslash tequila she wrote. You can also find that through the link in our social profiles as well. It, for it, for as little as $2 a month, you can support your favorite bitches here. And that gets you ad-free episodes, a bonus episode every month. And from there, we have tiers. So the more you pay, the more you get back from us. And that is bonus content. There's a little bit of merchandise available as well. So if you're interested at all, check it out. And without further ado, we'll kick you off to the episode. Maddie Clifton was a young girl from Jacksonville, Florida. She was born on June 17th, 1990. So, very much our era. Yeah. She was born into a loving family with her dad, Steve, her mom, Sheila, and an older sister, Jessie. Fast forward to quite a few years. And on November 3rd, 1990, on November 3rd, 1998, Maddie went outside to play in her neighborhood, as she often did, as we all often did in those days. We've kind of talked about in the past latchkey kids. Yes. Very much the situation here. Um, except for she actually did kind of, she did wait for her parents to get home before she would go out. So this particular day was a bit special because it was an election day. Which wouldn't affect an eight-year-old directly, per se, but it would affect her parents and their normal normal routines a bit. So, her mom just kind of ran a little late getting home that day because she had to swing by and vote in, in the election. So, as soon as her mom got home, she was like, peace out, I'm going outside and playing because dinner's in a little bit and I want to be outside with my friends. Yeah. So, I waited for you to get home. But now I'm leaving. <clears throat> so, Maddie went straight home after school that day, did her homework, all that stuff, waited for her mom to get home. And about 4.30 p.m., her mom got home and she went outside, like I said, to go play. Her original plan was to go down the street and play with her 16-year-old neighbor in the, her yard to hit a few golf balls. And so she did do that. She went home. She picked up some more golf balls from home and then went back to that neighbor's house. But at 620, when Sheila went outside and called for Jesse and Maddie to come home for dinner, Jesse came in immediately, but there was no sign of Maddie. Sheila began asking her neighbors if they had seen her, and they all started looking for Maddie together. But when it was clear that she wasn't there, Sheila called 911 to report her daughter as missing at 6.33 p.m. 
The search for Maddie intensified immediately, and hundreds of volunteers began looking for her. Thousands of flyers were put, put out, and the media covered the disappearance extensively. All of the neighbors were questioned by police, and some were even interviewed multiple times. The National Guard was even called in to walk through these sewer systems for potential leads on Maddie's body. So this was a huge ordeal. All of Jacksonville was looking for her at this point. One week to the day after Maddie disappeared, the Clifton's neighborhood looked very much the same, full of the media circus and full of police officers. Steve and Sheila had just finished, finished taping an interview with the National News Morning Program when one of their neighbor, neighbors ran across the street calling out for police. The neighbor, Missy Phillips, told police that she found Maddie's body inside the frame of her 14-year-old son's waterbed. Missy led the officer to the bedroom and told him about how she was cleaning her son's room when she noticed his water bed was leaking onto the floor. She began checking the bed when she found the source of the quote-unquote leak. The leak turned out to be Maddie Clifton's body, partially clothed and bludgeoned with a baseball bat and stabbed multiple times to death. Missy's son, Joshua Phillips, was in school when Maddie's body was found. Police went to his classroom to arrest him immediately, and he confessed to killing Maddie. Joshua told police that Maddie had come over to play baseball on the night of the 3rd, and he said yes, even though his parents weren't home. And I'll get to that in a minute. He accidentally hit Maddie in the eye with a baseball, and when she wouldn't stop crying, and she was also bleeding, but she wouldn't stop crying, he drug her into the house, afraid that his father would find out that he had somebody over when he wasn't supposed to. So let me tell you a little bit about the Phillips home, and then we can get back to this confession. So Joshua Phillips was born on March 17, 1984 in Allentown, Pennsylvania, but his family moved to Florida in the early 90s, right across the street from, the, from Maddie and her family. Mm -hmm. Joshua's father, Steve Phillips, was a computer specialist, but he was incredibly strict and violent towards his wife, Melissa, and Josh. Steve also became furious if other children were in his house without him being there, and even more so if he had been drinking, which is something that he did often. And I've got to say, like, I do have an uncle that was like this. He didn't want anybody over at their house unless one of them was home, even if it was just, you know, family. So, I get the strict part of it, and I understand why, but just kind of explaining where Joshua's head was in this. Yeah. Neighbors described Joshua as quiet and friendly, and according to Maddie Clifton's mother, he and her daughters were friends, and she never had any reason to be afraid of them. His high school, I mean, his middle school teacher said that he was a popular student who did not stand out and even described him as fun and silly. So, not really the kid that you would think would yeah. commit a heinous act like this. But back to, the, back to the confession. Joshua drug Maddie into his room, claiming this is when her clothes fell off. Then he hit her with a baseball bat to stop her from screaming, and Maddie finally became unresponsive. He then stuffed her unconscious body under his bed, 
because his father was was going to be home soon. Josh went out to talk to his dad before returning back to his bedroom, where he found Maddie was still alive, moaning under his bed. He removed the mattress, cut her throat, and then stabbed her in the chest seven times with a knife to silence her. <sighs> yes. So, police were stunned, particularly because they had searched the Phillips home three times in that week, but they had mistaken the stench of Maddie's corpse for the smell of several birds that the family kept as pets. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Joshua was charged with first-degree murder. Despite his age, it was determined he would be tried as an adult due to the heinous nature of the crime. Once again, he was 14 years old at this time. So tied to your case this week, too. <sighs> but... He was charged with first-degree murder as an adult, and at the time, a conviction of first-degree murder was an automatic life sentence due to his age, because he was too young to receive the death penalty. It was the first time Joshua had been in trouble in his life, though. He normally spent time on his computer and with his dog, and despite him confessing to the police, Joshua pled not guilty to first-degree murder. The trial was huge. Like, there was so much media attention already because of the missing girl, and then it turns out that this young boy killed her. So, this was a really big deal. And they decided to move the trial out of Jacksonville to ensure Joshua would, would receive a fair trial. Yeah. But what confuses me about that is, like, whenever something makes national news like that, how can you move it to another location and ensure that it's still a fair trial? Because... It's on national news at that point. You can't really hide it. Yeah. I digress. Well, that's like the Amber Heard Johnny Depp case that's going on now. It's like... It's getting how much attention. So you know those jurors are not having unbiased uh <laughs> well they're sequestered so they're not seeing all of the press going on right now they're not seeing like all of the tiktoks and all of that stuff because i saw a tiktok i saw a tiktok saying you know they're not seeing that we've noticed that amber's reflecting johnny depp's uh outfits yeah. every day and you know the body language so are they picking up on that on their own because we're not pointing it out for them like that's kind of a question right now but we kind of want to do the Johnny Depp Amber Heard as a case on here. So I'm going to leave that whole conversation yeah. at that because <laughs> I could literally talk about it all day. Um, so back to this one. Like I said, the trial was huge. So they moved it outside of Jacksonville. During the opening statements, the prosecutor told the jury that Joshua was guilty of a brutal first degree murder of an eight year old child. True. He argued that the evidence would show Joshua hit Maddie with a baseball bat, cut her throat, and then repeatedly stabbed her before hiding her body under his waterbed. The prosecutor told the court that the incident began within two were playing ball in Joshua's backyard and a ball Joshua hit struck Maddie in the eye. The prosecutors presented that Joshua then drug Maddie to his bedroom, as he had told the cops, hit her with a baseball bat, all that. They pointed out that Joshua then slept in the waterbed with Maddie's body beneath it for seven days. Jesus Christ. Uh-huh. 
He sealed the edges with tape and used incense as an attempt to disguise the odor of her decaying body. Joshua went th through great lengths to conceal what he had done. So to me, that does confirm that this is first degree. Like, it was pretty well meditated and thought out. Yeah. The jury was told that Maddie went outside to play and never returned home. People on the street saw her playing in the yard with a 16-year-old neighbor, and that neighbor's grandmother even saw Maddie in her driveway as Joshua was creeping up on Maddie. She watched them for a few minutes, but then thought it was just two children playing, so she went back inside. They heard that after Maddie went missing, Joshua took part in the searches and helped look for her, despite knowing that he killed her and had her body in the base of his waterbed. People from the neighborhood who helped search for Maddie described Joshua as acting completely normal. He later stated that he spent the following week living in denial, saying, I was putting myself in a fantasy world that nothing had happened. That was my defense mechanism for everything when I was a kid. I never made the decision to ignore it. I just did. <laughs> Must be nice. Right? <laughs> Must. My anxiety would never allow me to do that. The prosecution laid out the storyline that police questioned Joshua the day after Maddie went missing, and he told them that he saw her the day before, but he did not play with her because he wasn't supposed to due to their age difference. But yet, her mother says that you were good friends with both of her daughters. Right. Prosecutors disputed some parts of Philip's story. State attorney Harry Shorstein suggested the murder may have been sexually motivated, saying that he had talked about sexual matters with both Maddie and Jesse. The autopsy found no evidence of sexual assault, though, and the prosecutors argued that the lack of dirt and sand on Clifton's on Maddie's body did not support that Joshua's assertion that her clothes came off as he drug her into his room. Prosecutors also noted that no blood was found in the backyard at all or on the baseball that Phillips said that it struck Clifton in the eye and then she proceeded to bleed. Yeah, of course. They argued that this did not support his version of events. And it, it doesn't. Phillips' lawyer, Richard D. Nichols, did not call a single witness for the defense, a move the prosecutors later said was surprising and a risky strategy. Nichols intended to base much of the defense on closing argument to the jury, where he stated that Maddie's death was, quote, an act, that began as an accident and deteriorated through panic through the border of ma on madness. End quote. I just don't think that that excuses it, though. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> According to Joshua, Nichols never attempted to question him over the events of the murder and only played chess with him when visiting in prison prior to trial. His mother disagreed with the lawyer's strategy although his dad insisted on letting the lawyer do as he please. Nichols discouraged Joshua's parents from allowing him to testify, and according to Josh, he never spoke during his trial. The trial started on July 6, 1999, and lasted only two days, an unusually short time to, due to the defense calling no witnesses. Jurors took almost two hours to convict Phillips, of first-degree murder, he was later sentenced to life imprisonment Life imprisonment without the possibility of parole. He was not eligible for the death penalty because he was under 16 years old. Yeah. So, that is all of that. Now, 
to talk about him and current times. Joshua completed his general education, general educational development in prison, his GED, although he was initially told he was too young to do it. And then he had went on to take college classes by correspondence. So currently, Joshua works as a paralegal in the prison, assisting other inmates with their appeals and also works as a tutor for the inmates. He also plays guitar in a band. He participates in Christian religious services, yoga, all that kind of stuff. So it definitely seems like he is doing the best with what he has on hand. Mm -hmm. And for that, I applaud him. But he has tried to appeal his sentence a few times. And every time his sentencing has been upheld. So I think that's kind of good in this case. Yeah. Because I don't think, I don't know. I think that recovery is always a possibility, but in this case, he just, every time that he's gone back for appeals, he still kind of lacks emotion. Yeah. And he has yet to write a letter of apology to the family. And he says that that's because they deserve an apology in person. But in my opinion, maybe you should start with an apology on paper and then see if they're open to talking to you in person after that. But I digress again. Um, In 2000, Steve Phillips was killed in a car accident. So Melissa, Missy, she was left to live on her own. She lost her husband and her son within like a two year span time span of time. And then there was another like little side story that I fell down and it's uh, a friendship between Missy and Jesse. But mm-hmm. Jesse, whenever she talks, whenever she like looks back on this and talks about it, she says that the day that Maddie was found under Josh's waterbed was the day that Jesse Clifton began to lose her identity. Growing up, she was always the nerdy kid. She didn't hang out with any of the popular kids. She was the geek, that sort of situation. But suddenly, with the death of her sister, everyone, it seemed, wanted to know her. It bothered her because, in her mind, these school kids never cared for her before, but now they care for her now that her sister is gone and there's this huge tragedy. And a similar thing happened to Missy Phillips, Josh's mother. Missy said she tried to withdraw from society as best as she could after everything happened. She split her time between Jacksonville and North Central Florida, hoping maybe she could reinvent herself. For some reason, she thought if she rode her bicycle places, people wouldn't put the face with the bike rider to the crime, and therefore she would go unnoticed. Eventually, though, she did get noticed. She went to a church where she hoped to seek solace. A woman approached her and said, are you Josh's mother? Missy said she thought about lying, but then she remembered she was in a church, so she said yes. Preparing for the worst, the unexpected happened when the woman reached out and hugged Missy. Things like that happen more than once, Missy said, and that makes her feel better. And also making her feel better is Jesse Clifton's warmth back then and more recently. So, Jesse recalls how Missy stayed inside after her son was arrested and how she hated coming outside, so Jesse would help her out. She would walk the dog. If she saw her pulling in the driveway after the gr- after going to the grocery store, she would race out to help her carry the groceries inside. And in Jessie's own words, she said, she was just such a sweet and kind person. She didn't deserve what happened. I feel like she feels like everyone was against her and she found Maddie. And I cannot even imagine 
that. And then I realized what her son did. Yeah. That's a lot for one person to handle. And I agree. And I think that that shows so much maturity and grace from such a young woman. <laughs> like, Jesse was 11 years old when her sister was murdered. And she recognized that this woman, not only was she suffering, but she had suffered from loss too. And she suffered because, she, like, I just, I, I can't imagine being that mature that young. But Jesse went on to say that a loss is a loss. And she understands that Missy lost her son just as much as she lost her sister. And I think that that is a beautiful thing. Uh, unfortunately, Steve and Sheila Clifton divorced after 25 years of marriage. The couple had known each other in high school. They were high school sweethearts. They had been together for 30 years but they just couldn't put Maddie's death behind them. They were a solid family that enjoyed one another, enjoyed fishing trips and vacations. They just couldn't go back to what once was. Everything stopped when my parents divorced, is what Jesse said. They handled the grief dif differently. Steve shut down. Sheila wanted to talk about it. To the point to where Sheila just ended up moving out. She moved into her mother's house. Who also lived in the same neighborhood. So she was still close to Jesse. But she was able to move away from the Phillips home. Where Maddie had died. She had a really big problem staying in the house. Across from where her daughter had been murdered. Yeah. And I understand that. <laughs> like I would not want to stay either. To this day the Clifton still own the home. Very recently, Steve actually moved out of the house and Jesse is in the process of buying it from him. To her, it's, it's a home where many fantastic memories were made before 1998. She says, it will always be my home. So, that is the tragic story of Maddie Clifton. And a few little small silver linings, mm -hmm. if you want to call them that, that come from it. But that is my case for today. I hope you enjoyed it, and we'll kick you off to the last call. Yep. All right. So for today's last call, I decided, since we just had Cinco de Mayo, as this is it. We haven't had it yet because we're recording this in the future, but... <laughs> well, Cinco de Mayo. But Cinco de Mayo is what is this thursday for us and as this is released has just happened <laughs> i know it's it's all hard to explain but <laughs> that's, that's kind of how things it's work hard for us <laughs> for you cinco de mayo is in past that's all you need to know yes so as we know cinco de mayo here in the u.s has basically become a, another drinking holiday <laughs> And I thought, let's, let's have some little Cinco de Mayo facts, and we can all feel like we know a little bit more now. Um, so, as we know, Cinco de Mayo is the 5th of May. It is a holiday that celebrates the date of the Mexican army um, and their victory, their 1862 victory over France at the Battle of Puebla during the Franco-Mexican War. Many people think that this is like 
the Cinco de Mayo is like Mexico, Mexico's like Independence Day or whatnot. No, mm-hmm. that is in September. Basically, what happened was in 1861, Benito uh, Juarez, I believe is how it's said, a lawyer and member of the indigenous Zopetic tribe, sorry, it's a lot of Spanish words, was elected president of Mexico. At the time, the country was in financial ruin after years of internal strife, and the new president was forced to default on debt debt payments to European governments. So, in response, France, Britain, and Spain sent naval forces to Veracruz, Mexico, demanding repayment. Britain and Spain negotiated with Mexico and withdrew their forces. France, however, was ruled by Napoleon III. (laughs) Good old Napoleon. Yeah, yeah. And he decided that he was going to start a little war with them instead. And all odds were against the Mexicans, but they prevailed, and that is why we now celebrate Cinco de Mayo. So... The Mexican army was largely outnumbered and poorly supplied. In fact, they were known as a ragtag army and only had outdated guns at their disposal. How embarrassing for you, Napoleon. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They had as little as 2,000 Mexican soldiers, some of whom hid behind tall cactus plants, and they defeated... 6,000 French soldiers during this battle. You go, Mexico. (laughs) (laughs) The general was honored in a super special way. Uh, Ignacio Zaragoza was the Mexican general who led the army that defeated the French on May 5th, 1862. And he was born in what's now Goliad in southern Texas and was only 33 years old when he led the troops to victory. So Puebla was renamed Puebla de Zaragoza in his honor. Um, Families in California partied first. So a few weeks after the Battle of Pueblo, Americans and Latinos in California heard about the valiant efforts of Mexican soldiers through newspaper reports, and residents in the state were so excited they celebrated with parades and people dressed in Civil War uniforms. Um, So Northern California, one town partied with drinks, food, and banquets. So this is most likely the first Cinco de Mayo festival-like little thing. Uh, FDR helped commercialize Cinco de Mayo. So although it was celebrated in the United States just weeks after the battle, Cinco de Mayo wasn't officially recognized in America until 1933. Always late to the game, America. (laughs) 
That's when President Franklin D. Roosevelt helped create the Good Neighbor Policy, which aimed to establish positive exchanges and relationships with our Latin American neighbors. Um, so in Mexico, they on May 5th, they celebrate the military. Locals put on a military parade with people dressed as French and Mexican soldiers, cheer on brightly colored floats, and reenact the battle on its original site. Number seven of this little thing says, it's all about the mole sauce. So, sure, tacos are a staple at any Cinco de Mayo party, but in Mexico, there's one meal that stands above the rest. The holiday's most beloved dish is Mole Poblano, a sauce made with dozens of ingredients, including chili peppers and chocolate served over chicken. Kids get May 5th off from school in Mexico. That It's a federal holiday in Mexico, and schools are closed for the day. The United States, of course, has to take everything up a notch, and Cinco de Mayo is largely a regional holiday in Mexico, but mostly celebra celebrated in Puebla. The United States holds coast-to-coast -coast celebrations, especially in cities that have large populations of Mexican-Americans like Chicago, Los Angeles, and San Antonio. Denver's Cinco de Mayo Festival is believed to be one of the largest, and apparently in America, on Cinco de Mayo, for some reason, millions of avocados are consumed. And apparently, on May 5th, a lot of Americans make a heck of a lot of guacamole. And that is what it's saying. I we, believe it. We, we just, you know, really, really amp up our uh, tequila intake. Not that we don't do that every day, but it's <laughs> I fine. Like, I don't need a excuse for a margarita, but if you're going to give me one, I'll take it. Right. I remember during uh, quarantine, because obviously we didn't have to work, we literally went to the liquor store and got like a couple bottles of tequila and we had stuff to make like tacos and that. We just had like basically... A Mexican night, like, on steroids, so. Yeah. <laughs> but, like I said, I thought it'd be fun to do a little Cinco de Mayo um, fun facts and that. Since I know a lot of people don't even really realize why Cinco de Mayo is Cinco de Mayo. So, with that being said, again... You can check us out every Tuesday and Friday for a brand new episode. You can always check out our social medias for, you know, little, little case cards and drink um, recipes. Everything is Tequila She Wrote. You got your Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all that fun stuff. We also have our email that you can send case suggestions, drink suggestions, last call ideas, anything like that. That's tequilasherote at gmail.com. We have our Patreon. The easiest way to find us is to go to your browser, patreon.com backslash tequilasherote. You can also find that through our social media links, 
as well. For as little as $2 a month, you can support us and get bonus content and ad-free episodes. From there, it's a tier sort of situation. The more you pay, the more you get back from us. And we look forward to hanging out with you next time. Mm -hmm. Thanks for riding along on the Hot Mess Express. Toot toot. Beep beep.